0: This is Karen Hunter and welcome to the hub <music> greetings and good everything Nubians hello 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 everyone non-nubians as well y'all are all welcome we love Everybody's you well uh, regardless uh, hi Dr. Carr hey Professor Hunter how are, hey, you?
1: How are you? you good how everything another great. wonderful week
0: yes. Yeah, well, we were having an off mic conversation. I was like, let's not, let's not, uh this you is know, I mean it. we're we're in community, you know, we were talking about the Essence Festival. I had on the show yesterday, which we haven't posted yet on YouTube. A young lady who had a rant on one of the social media platforms about, you know, going to Essence every single year and just feeling really disappointed. Uh great she said great, great swag back from McDonald's, you know, great music. I'm but- but um, you know, Louisiana had has a voter suppression problem and a voter drive problem. And she said it was, you know, a little activation over to the side that people could do, but it wasn't central and you know, so so I brought on the show to talk about it. But you know, many people will deem our conversations, my conversation, because i I I lead the way, right? Yes, you as some as some sort of um, you know, dig at essence. No, it's a dig at us. Like I I really want to know, you know, and you brought the the Africana framework into play for me. So everything that I do now is through that lens and through that seventh one that we added from Sonia Sanchez's, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, but how do it free us?
1: No, but how do it free us, right?
0: We're, We're in a particular point in history where, yes, we should have fun, we should have joy, there should be joy, everything. But if we're gonna gather in such great numbers with such greatness, because there's some powerhouse women showing up in New Orleans every single year,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what what should be the goal, right? And so, you know, we can bring into, you know, because the one, I think the video that's up now is about, you know, how there was a cease and desist and whether or not the bookstore or the organizers of the event at the bookstore were using Essence's branding or label to to bring people in that they were charging them for something. That, that to me is irrelevant as much as you're in somebody's town, there's a black owned bookstore. If you don't have the wherewithal to bring them into your situation and make sure that they can profit from your being there with those thousands of women, at the very least, at the very least, carve out space for them and be very clear about we are visitors in your, in your town, bringing all of this commerce. Yes, it's great. But at the end of the day, what are we walking away with? And I know uh, Vice President Kamala Harris was there, and it was some some sort of you know black um, global economic forum. But central, like what what is the source? What is what is the you know the the foundation of the thing that you're doing? And as a magazine, so I'm gonna say this because I didn't talk about it. So thank you for giving me space. Um, as somebody that really really values the written word, the spoken word. I understand that words are foundational words become flesh for somebody to take over a magazine Mm. Mm. foundationally. The edict was to empower and, and bring forth, even though it was for men, that came together, convened by Russell Goings
1: as to come you, and produce. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, you know, it's it, and and this is something. So I just want to say this too: yeah. knowledge is power because it gives you the information to be able to then suss out what your opinion should be on something, right? Gee, so I'm not, I'm not talking just because I have an opinion. I sat with Ed Lewis. I sat with Russell Goings. I understand foundationally what Essence was supposed to be because. I asked the questions, but also I spent a lot of hours with these men. Right. So to Susan Taylor, you know, I grew up as a little girl, with, you know, reading an essence magazine and seeing her cornrows and, you know, wanting to have cornrows and, you know, okay. and, yes, in many ways, you know, she was, she was the, the, the face, not just the face, the soul of essence, right. With her Absolutely. regal elegance intelligence, you knew that, right? This woman right now, I think she presided over at Cicely Tyson school in East Orange, my hometown. So mm-hmm. we're talking about that. And now somebody took it over. Somebody took over um, the source, Vibe, all these magazines for business propositions, not to carry forth the vein and the foundation of what this was about. So I, yeah, I do have a little some like, but I feel like because we don't have momentum of memory, many of us just, you know, we, we go along cause it's fun, but we don't question a challenge. And I feel like in the challenge, we can make people better. It's not to criticize, to tear people down, but to say, understand the foundation of what this is. And we're not accepting just any old thing.
1: Right. If there's going to be a we that has some function, well, I mean, not as, exactly. as a footnote, maybe not even a conversation we need to get into necessarily, but even as she tried to lead with and intermittently interject that this was not a criticism that she loved both megan the stallion and janelle Monet.
0: oh you're talking about india Irene? i didn't even get it i, I
1: never talked about india Irene. No, well I'm, I'm, I'm not we don't have to talk about it now i'm just saying that but in that spirit of trying to have a collective okay. week do we have space to build a we where we can have a conversation and not immediately be set mm-hmm. upon as attacking somebody. And I already said it from the beginning. She said, hold on. And she said, and not only that, I've lived this. I am in this. I have yes. performed this. So don't don't take this, but but hey, that didn't stop anybody.
0: No, because everybody has an opinion.
1: Mm-hmm. No, but this normal. is,
0: you know, sitting with you now 174 uh mm-hmm. mm-hmm. straight, um I think Larry filled in for me a couple of times. You've been here every no, every no, 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 no.
1: Think- but you know,
0: um, I, I I I am
1: better days a week. You probably should be able to. <laughs> anyway, go ahead.
0: I'm 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 much better as a person, but also I I realize mm-hmm. that that like, we all have kind of this internal call. Like you should have an internal call, and I think you know at the forefront of it should be like I, I sh- before I open my mouth or get my Twitter fingers, or whatever the fingers are now, because there's like 80 pro- platforms of people. Oh, to...
1: we should talk mention that, too. They All the platforms, whether you
0: threading or spouting, or whatever you out there doing.
1: There is, it's like, they're they about to have real beef. This is what that beef was a few weeks ago, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah, this is this yeah. what
1: it really was about. Yeah, no That's
0: the cease and desist you want to pay attention. No question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, whatever you're doing, and of course, Newbie now looking better and better, ain't it? As well, I mean, you know, I mean, and,
0: I mean. and let me just say, intentions are everything, right? Mm-hmm. So we we created Nubia as a way to not, to be able to stream and have these conversations that we're having now. Folk can chat and talk to each other because, you know, we were being inundated with trolls on the YouTube platform because there's no curation. You can't curate. People right. who are here are here with intention. They don't have to agree. People disagree in the chat. But there's a respect at the forefront of everything that we do in a and in an in a understanding of what the mission is. That's and right. ultimately, that question: How do it free us? So we're gonna engage in conversation, and if you're not prepared to do that, then you can leave, because you okay. know people people will leave That's uh, right. or be left.
1: Leave, <laughs> so or be left. That's or right. Be left.
0: But you know, it, as we as we have these conversations, they are you know every day. I'm like reminded when you brought up Charles Blocks and Like we don't read enough, we don't know enough, but we all have opinions, right? So you are gonna go in on an NDI read. Been in this game 20 plus years. Her mama, who is really a scholar, a world-class scholar as well. Like you, you do you know where this woman comes from? She's not talking out of her dingle berries as most of you are. She not 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 Nubians, you know. I'm not talking about y'all. But you know, she's she's speaking from a deep love, first of all, of, of culture, of us, and a deep love of music. That's right. And yeah. wanting more and better. And why would she get vilified and demonized? It's not about police and bodies. Yeah, we can get into respectability politics, but at some point, are we respectable?
1: Well, I'm, I'm a big do we, fan. Do
0: we want to be respectable? I'm a big
1: fan of, big fan of respectability politics. Are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think everybody is. Only question is, how do you find respectable? Okay. In other words, if, if you think respectable is doing whatever you want at any time, in any place, uh, and, and presenting in the world the way that you feel comfortable doing in a, from a, one moment. And if you feel like one moment, you want to be out butt naked. And the next moment you want to be out uh, with a burlap sack around your uh, head. That is a form of respectability politics. I think when people say respectability politics, they are assuming we all have a common definition. But the only common, the only constant in that is respectability, you know, which is really about how do I become part of a we. We all have a respectability politics. And when people talk about, well, you're you're practicing respectability politics and you're not, is your standard for respectability to just basically say that I want to be unfettered? Well, that's a form of respectability. So, I mean, you know, I mean, in fact, you know, to me, there's a standard. It's very simple. Ray Winbush brought this up many years ago in his book The Warrior Method Our friend and brother Ray Winbush, was at Morgan State and he's done all this stuff on rights of passage psychologists very worked at Fisk name was over Vanderbilt. Ray and I was um, I was what 22 when I kept Ray's boys as part of the South Street Community Center summer program. that was my first post uh, undergrad teaching work in the summer of 2000 it was uh, summer 1987. Anyway, long story short, Ray Winbush, when he would going to a classroom and these young brothers would be in there and he's talking about, you know, how to be a young man and come up. And one thing, we need to stop cussing so much and using the N-word. And the brother, one of the young brothers pushed back and say, well, why can't we use the N-word? It's our word. We flipped. He said, no problem. Can I call your mother the N-word? Then the little boy want to fight. He said, no, wait, hold on. I, I'm just, I mean, you said it's a term of endearment, right? Is anybody closer to you than your mother and father? No. Well, then, I say mm-hmm. your mother, that didn't work. Oh, now we're going to Hold on now. Wait, it, it, what's the role? You seem to have a respectability politics. All Indy the is saying, I love all of us. We put, look, last time I saw Indy and I don't know India but I know uh, Yanni Gregory fairly well. Yanni at her father's funeral, she, uh, you know, Indy re dropped everything and came to the ritual and they were standing out there talking, embracing, and she performed, you know, see how much you love her. NDRE always been about that life of promoting. When you see me, I'm bringing everybody with me. And right. of course, we know NDRE in part because Stevie Wonder was like, y'all love me? Listen to sister right here. I mean, there's there's a, there's a community, and then it gets broken down by gender. Then it gets broken down by class. Like why are you letting these people dictate how we build a we? They ain't never... I mean, people talk... Lethea Watkins talks about this all the time. She says, you know, we start about sexual assault and say, you know, that should be a man's issue and and, and, and a woman's issue. I'm saying, so they put their hands on my sister, that's my issue, and that's my nephew's issue, that's my brother in law's issue, my brother's issue, as well as everybody. When did this become women's issues and men's issues? Are we talking about coming anywhere? How do it free us? How do we measure whether or not our work is serving our purpose? In fact, what is our purpose? Maybe we should have that conversation. What's purpose, <laughs> you know, I don't know, but anyway, so you you know, are,
0: I, you I, I really feel like you know, um, I never forget how you know, often I get shocked that the way that I see things is not normal or is not the norm, you know, like, you know, cause I would assume we all are kind of working towards the same goal, but we're not right. And it's, it's disappointing. I always, I always get my feelings hurt around this. Uh, <laughs> especially when it's people who you assume or who say that this is what they're supposed to be doing. And then you find out behind closed doors that it's it's a completely selfish mission. And this has happened to me on a number of occasions. And unfortunately I've had the privilege of being in rooms where people let their hair down and they say, you know, cause be, for, for, mm. for me, the large part of my career, as a journalist, you know, as big as I am, I was invisible. You know, that pen and pad, it's almost like the mic with reality shows. People say things when, you, when you, you do know that I'm recording all of this here and in here, and I'm never going to forget. And now I'm, I'm here with a platform and I haven't forgotten. So when I talk about people and y'all may say we're throwing shade, cause you even, you might accuse Dr. Carr of throwing shade. That's not shade, it's truth. Now I mean, you can either digest it and understand that if it, what, what they should be happy about is that I'm not actually saying all of the things that I'm just, you know, doing a drive-by, just a little tat, tat, tat because there should be a larger conversation about some of our our most favorites, right? And Mm. what they talk about us, how they see us when they're in the rooms, when no one's watching or they think Mm. no one's listening. And there is a a kind of (laughs) another shadow community of folk that don't like us at all, but yet they profit off us. Let me, oh, you just got me. Okay, let's talk about Essence for a second. Lou Dennis. Let's talk about Shea Moisture. How does Shea Moisture make his money?
1: Is that a form of Respectability politics, I don't politics know. Investment. I'm just no, I mean, okay. if you can't say what you are saying all the time, if you censor yourself in certain ways, if you present when there's a we one way, and then when you remove from that we and you're exploiting that we, or, or let me say exploiting when you're profiting off that no we, but not willing to be forthcoming, then there's there's a censorship going on. Yeah,
0: I mean, right. yeah,
1: and people now people show up like the young sister who posted on social media and who we had the conversation with. People show up expecting something because we haven't had a conversation about who we are. No, why, yeah. you go, why are you going to Essence looking for black liberation? Oh, you assume that's what that is. Perhaps you should ask, I'm just, I mean, because what you said, I mean, you know, when Essence started, and I love the way that you talked about that 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 initial step with the, with the younger brothers at that point coming out of finance and junior, and then how, uh, very quickly, what you see Susan Taylor emerge. And, you know, when Essence came out and was published, there was a certain expectation that it engendered. I mean, even, you know, John Henry Hart published essays on Great black women rule, late African women rulers. In essence, legrand Clegg talked about the the Africanness of ancient Egypt. Essence published articles on the blackness of Tutankhamun in the seventies. You know what I'm saying? So Essence had a standard. You know what I'm saying? Now you come forward to today, it's not the same thing, right? We, because it's also again
0: we keep breaking memory and and mm-hmm. that's on the elders. And so if, if, if we're now going to be elders, like we we cannot. I don't think we can we can be silent as we watch these things happen and not bring it forth. Like there 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 was a tr- a chain that was broken, right? And well, then somebody it took it, sold it this.
1: An, it was an to, external assault. It was an external assault.
0: Right, and 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 some of it. And there's another question on the on the horizon too about selling out or selling in, right? So Essence sold to Time Warner for I think two billion dollars. I remember sitting with Ed Lewis talking about that transition. Mm. Which was painful to me because once you hand over the reins, so, so you're paying $2 billion for what exactly? Right. You know, right. Shea Moisture was sold for $1.6 A Unilever. What is Unilever buying? Come they, on. Right? I mean, we can even bring it into Twitter, right? Twitter was, was purchased for $44 billion by Elon Musk. But how much of Twitter's power came from the Black folk on there making it sexy? Because as I'm on all of these platforms right now just watching, they're struggling because... The community hasn't been found yet. There's not enough people on there. right Hopefully you know what to do. You're the first person in. You're looking around. It's like being the first person <laughs> at a party. The, the DJ ain't set up yet. You like, okay, are there, is some potato salad? Is some, some double egg? Food. All right, the, the music. I'm, am I gonna dance in the corner by myself? Anybody out there? Like, it's it's weird on all of these places. But Twitter's culture was fomented, I believe, strongly through Black folk, through the Arab Spring, through protests. Right. And so if you don't have those magical moments that you cannot go in a lab or in some code and figure out it's the people, it's the people, Gene it's always the people. Right. So, so I'm like, okay, uh, what are you buying for 1.6 billion? What are you buying for 2 billion? BET selling? What are you buying? You're buying us.
1: Well, you well,
0: you think you're buying us, but you, you, you are. So is it, Ooh, Ooh, now that just made me feel some ways just now. Who is it? Dr. Carr, is it the same damn thing all over again? People purchasing us, commodifying us, selling to us, using us
1: to get rich. Is there how? Yes, it is. First of all. And by yes, it is. I would I would think it is. I'm thinking about it in the longer arc of human social relations, particularly over the last half millennium or so, 500 years or so. The coin of the realm of society, using that phrase kind of tongue-in-cheek, is labor. And so, you know, our labor was used to build this world system, along with a whole lot of other people. But at the center of it, in the Western Hemisphere, our labor, um, fights over our labor became the rationale for the formation of colonies, and then countries. We just passed the United States social structure celebrating its birthday, but it really isn't a birthday. It was a fight over our labor. England was contemplating, some in England, not everybody, about the 1830s they made it a reality, uh, changing its labor relations with African people from enslavement, chattel slavery at the center to other forms. And that made the 13 North 13 of the British North American colonies very nervous So one of the reasons they had to separate from their parent Was because they some of them feared that uh, their parent was getting ready to uh, fundamentally re Negotiate and change labor relations in the colonies There were British that said let's just make those Africans subjects of the crown and if George Washington don't like it, we'll just get them guns too, and they can keep our colonies going. And you can't go west of the Alleghenies. Why? Because that belongs to the indigenous people. Well, George Washington didn't like that because they wanted to run the whole criminal enterprise from sea to shining sea. They eventually got there. But I'm saying I have to say that now is not then. What has changed? Everything in some ways. The technology has changed. The ability to, uh, to, to usurp labor has changed. The Great Resignation is a front page article in today's New York Times about the slowing of people leaving one job, going to another job, even as people say, well, the economy is doing well. Look at all the look at the unemployment rate is going down. Yeah, but the profits, criminal profits have skyrocketed. And now they talking about raising interest rates to stop inflation and people might have to work two jobs. It's all a fight over how to gain profit and the profit that we uh, made with our labor for other people. Now, the profit is eyeballs. The profit is our attention. The pro- and so when when Elon Musk purchases a uh, a Twitter, he thinks he's purchasing a platform that will help him generate profit, that will give him influence and that will enable him to move through the world in a way that is much more influential. But in fact, it's much more difficult to retain our attention, as you've been saying now for the past couple of months, focusing in on Stolen Focus, the book Stolen Focus, when the fight is no longer over how much uh, cotton we can pick, how much tobacco we can plant and harvest, but how, how much, how long we will spend clicking something and looking at something. And so the only other thing I'll say in this is thinking about this, you know, today's, a, this is Friday's Financial Times, Threads reaches 30 million signups. Meta touts its challenge to Twitter as a, quote, friendly and wholesome project. More than 30 million people had signed up to what Mark Zuckerberg pitched as a friendly alternative competitor to Twitter The social media platform owned by Elon Musk the app called threads is a text-based conversation app Uh, You can go up to 500 characters include links photos and videos. Of course uh, (laughs) The the app is dubbed the Twitter killer by some users and of course uh, This continues with Facebook, of course and with Instagram and I'm saying all that to say just very quickly that the technology has enabled a form of exploitation that is different than even 50 years ago. And so whereas 50 years ago, 75 years ago, 100 years ago, the parasites would go out to listen to black musicians in juke joints and nightclubs and other places and then curate them in to make recordings and profit off them the bessie smiths the billy holidays you name it today all they have to do with the technology is sit back in their basements or you know paying their low-wage employees to sit and eat uh lunch and monitor the screens And see what uploaded TikTok video, what uploaded song hits, and then go out and curate it. And now you don't need an A&R department at a record company. And then when you get an inkling that the people may be dissatisfied, like three summers ago, when we started our journey on the verge of it, continued our journey, but really accelerated summer 2020, you then go out and hire a raft of Negroes to be diversity, equity, and inclusion to give the impression that somehow you're going to make some kind of structural changes when in fact you never had any intention, you just got scared for a minute that these people might stop paying attention and might actually exact a price. And now that you're past that, we're back to the reality television-based um upload everything based exploitation. So when you have a live festival like Essence. Does Essence have the influence, Professor Hunter, that it did 20, 30 years ago? Does Essence Magazine have the influence? So, today? Because those real-life events aren't, do, does any real-life event? Y-
0: yes and no. Um, you know, the the girls' trip made made Essence really gave it more cachet, you know, Um seeing you know jada and queen latifah and tiffany haddish and regina hall you know on the girls trip that was a very very popular movie the very next year you know essence you know because people are going to get the grapefruit experience i guess you know
1: um who and, and not doing and not doing it from unknown brands in other words everybody you name with the exception of tiffany haddish is, and I hate to use this word, but it's one that's been bandied about a lot in with regard to movement organizations legacy brands Yes, when you see Queen Latifah, you're not looking at somebody you don't know. So they're bringing in some ways Yeah, it, 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 it gives them a boost but it also introduces them to a generation that did not have the ritual of going to New Orleans for essence fest, which is a more kind of respectable mm-hmm. version of uh, the Greek picnic in Philadelphia or the weekend in Virginia Beach that would, would lead into the fall or Freaknik in Atlanta. In other words, the convenings that are unpoliced we talk about respectability politics. let's talk about respectability politics because in some ways when we start talking about class, essence, this very different. Essence yeah. is not Martha's Vineyard, where there are a lot of Negroes, uh, some of whom talk the way that you just kind of alluded to when ain't nobody else listening, or they think nobody else is listening, at Martha's Vineyard right now. But Essence was a kind of convergence. You see Frankie Beverly. You could see Patti LaBelle. You can see Stevie Wonder. But now what we see is the, the influence of a culture that is shot through with this technology that is attempting to continue to attract eyeballs for profits. And so it's a, you know, girl's, girls trip That's very, and I'm glad you said, girls trip, is, flip, uh, girl's trip is almost like an inflection point of sorts. You're you're bringing the momentum of what came before and you're trying to now usher in some people, but there's no rite of passage. Right, it,
0: it, and I wanna not, the reason why I didn't talk about Indy Ivory the, on purpose or Janelle Monet or Meg Thee Stallion, I, mm-hmm. I saw it all because those are more simple, you know, whether, whether people's showing their breasts and booties and twerking up, uh, like it's not something I would do. I wouldn't go to those things. That's, that's me. I'm not going to demonize it either because that's us, right? It's it's still all us and why people are doing it and Kiki Palmer and all of this. That's not even an issue. Those are distractions. And The more we are spending time on that and not on the core issue of like, what, what's the purpose of these gatherings? What do we demand that, come that that will come forth from these gatherings moving forward what you know like i feel like we abdicate our power in all of these cases and we just accept everything that's happening go along and like ah uh, the hypocrisy we just walk through it and in and that i feel like we further it we make it worse right oh, no we don't challenge it right so i'm i'm just asking questions but i'm also challenging us is this is this who we are is this what we want is this is this what you want your children, your girls, your your boys to, see, you know, is this it? Is this because everyone's watching, including your children? Is this us? And and then what's the responsibility to people that put on things? Because I, I I promise you, uh, Dr. Carr, um, hmm. you know I, I do a lot of things. I do a lot of things. I do a lot of things that are even counter to good sense. You know, like like having a platform that's not you know for the public that. <laughs> That's. It's not. this that it will never be sold. That's not being built to be sold. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, I'm not building this for the next round of funding. We're funding it, right? And we're gonna we're gonna keep this this thing going.
1: Very Carter G. Woodson.
0: Yeah, but yeah. you taught me that though. I I you, took something you, you taught you said, ourselves
1: that. No,
0: you dro- you dropped the kernel and I popped it. Mm. I was like, okay, let's go. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Yes, yeah, put yeah. oil in the pan. What else can we do? You know, and it's it's inspiring, right? So this is what community should be. I got an idea from you. I got yeah. an idea. Somebody, brother, hit me in It's Like, what if can would you do this? I said, would you do this? You know, he gave an right. idea. I'm like, do it. He's do like, it. I can do that. I was like, yeah, we're all here. Like, go You're ahead all... and do it. Knock yourself out. You're knock awesome. us out with the idea. Let's go. You know, it's like we're all waiting for a savior, but we're the savior and we have to step into that role. So
1: I, yes. If there's oh. us to save, I mean,
0: I think if, there is Dr. Carr. You keep saying that, but, no, I mean, I,
1: but the only reason I say that is because we have, what we're doing is very different. As you say, the clean glass of water metaphor is essential. We're not getting distracted, but we also are aware that when we think about a social structure, that there are organized efforts to achieve objectives. We can't pretend like any of this is random. And so, yeah, while we're talking about who's got on clothes, who doesn't have on clothes and policing each other, that is that is very much a governance conversation. The governance category in our framework isn't about always being correct. It's about who are we to each other? And this is who we are to each other. And that's playing out in ways that we have to be, if we can, much more attentive To the distinction between the social structures that we find ourselves in, and are pulled into, and contribute to, quite frankly, and the governance conversations, because governance conversations should lead to institution building. Nubia is an institution. Narrative is an institution. You know, Nation Islam is an institution. MBCP is an institution. Essence is was an institution, and I'm saying that. You know, it gets blurry when, and this is where branding comes in, as we know, when you when you take uh, a trope, a, a, a label, a concept, and 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 use it for other purposes, and you haven't, people haven't taken the time to say, is this what it was before? It is absolutely not what it was before. And 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 and, and so when we start talking about, you know, the conversations we're having about, you know, any of the performers, what we do. You know, my question is always in terms of this African studies framework, we can have that conversation. We have to have it in the government. Now, who are we to other people? And how do we carry ourselves? How do we operate in those spaces that aren't grounded in who we are to each other? You know, I I got this copy of November. uh, We talked about it in Office Hours Monday night. uh, The November 2022 issue of Vanity Fair, because it was an article on Queen Mother Moore, which uh, written by Kirsten Mullen, which I read as a deliberate evasion of queen mother moore's commitment to pan-africanism it's really an an article trying to recruit queen mother moore oddly more into this argument about descendants of slaves and all this this stuff that i find just uh, unpersuasive but i bought the article i bought the issue not because of the cover article the cover article is lizzo here's lizzo wait so I said, okay. Well, Lizzo has a beautiful outfit on there. I'm sure somewhere in this big spread that's on here, they're going to show her in various forms of her performing uh, appearance. And here she is again. Okay. And here she is again. Okay. She's again. Okay. She again. Okay. And here she is again. Okay. What's missing, Professor Hunter? Uh,
0: all her body parts that are uh, exposed. Yeah,
1: no. Vanity Fair friends.
0: So, when so we start with Dr. Carr, what are you saying? Vanity Fair has a standard.
1: What I'm saying is, in an African state framework, is who we is to other, are to other people and who we are to each other. Vanity so Fair, Vanity Fair has, is like,
0: you gonna put some clothes on. And and guess what?
1: Did Lizzo push back? Lizzo went to cover Vanity Fair. I'm sorry, let me not say that because I don't know Lizzo. I don't know her handlers. I don't know her business. I don't know her enterprise. I know she's big up and making all the money, and God bless her. In okay. saying. One, one more thing.
0: One more thing. Come um, on. <laughs> I, I hypothesized in my little mind that you can teach people how to treat you.
1: So I said,
0: um, I'm going to have this little radio show and I'm going to have, there's going to be rules of engagement, right? Because I I listen to radio. I was was a a student of radio way before I got on the air. I would drive around because I drove a lot because I'm...
1: Uh Uh-oh, mute, mute. Last thing we heard was I drive around a lot. I drive around a lot, so I used to listen to...
0: Russ Limbaugh, everybody. I would no listen problem. to And radio is the
1: it. one thing that can't be displaced. No technology is ever gonna get rid of mouth to ear people listening. So yes, you're a student of that. So, yes.
0: so I so I know I know the tricks, right? In radio. No I know I know how to get the phone lines going. I promise you, I you know, I could sit there, draw out some topics. It's real easy, by the way. Yes, um, once you know. But I said, I want to do something different. I want to have conversations with people every day. Now, I know that's going to take a while. So fortunately, I'm on a platform that's not Nielsen rated, right? So I don't have to worry about my ratings, algorithms, clicks, et cetera. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm doing well in the ratings as Bomani Jones and others get canceled, as the Lady Black Lady Sketch show gets canceled because it's, it's, it's driven by ratings, right? So they can easily say you're not up to, so Stephen A can get on. I'm number one. I'm number one show. So I'll get, I deserve the money that I'm getting because they're, ratings that will inform the higher-ups or the people that pay. I don't have ratings. So I had the opportunity and I was on a channel that nobody cared about per se. Maybe, you know, they might argue, but you show me what you care about by where you put your money. So you tell me you don't have any money. I know you don't care about this channel. So that gave me the opportunity to say, can I build something that is community? That's us. That us that before I even knew you, can I build an us with my 2000 followers on Twitter? Can I build an us in this radio space? By having conversations, and also demanding of the callers. if you call up, you better have something to say. I'm just going be flapping your gums, talking just just talking <laughs> next caller, and then you know, maybe I cuss you out or what no, I'm not going to do that. We're going to have conversations. I'm going to demand more from you. Yes. Almost nine years later, Dr. Carr, we now out in them streets. Oh, we just came God. back from Chicago uh, doing a version because, you know, my show Monday through Thursday, Monday, Monday, mo- now it's Motivational Monday, Tech Tuesday, mm-hmm. Wellness, Tuesday. Wellness Wednesday, Wellness Friday, Wednesday. Thursday, and Foolishness Friday because you need a day to let your hair down because we all need a little teaspoon of sugar. No now, Foolishness Friday is out in them streets. Um, in them
1: streets? I saw the pictures.
0: Good night. Oh, my God. So, but let me say this about Chicago. First of all, every place we went, they were like, "Please be safe. Be safe now." I was like, "Is this city dangerous?" Are y'all saying something? I feel okay being here, but in the venue, the venue. Now we're at the city winery because we were in D.C. and Atlanta. They are so impressed with our crowd. Like they, they keep saying that. Oh my God! I witnessed that
1: firsthand as they were telling you that when we when you came to D.C. We were there, and they could not which is tragic in a way. I was
0: like, (laughs) you don't get this kind of crowd. No, they don't because this crowd doesn't exist any place else. And Lamont was telling me in Chicago, there's the comedy scene is either the really ratchet comedy places in really, you know, sketchy neighborhoods or there's, you know, this, you know, where we, you know, this highbrow thing, there's no place for us. So in the city winery is like, Oh, you've, captured magic in the bottle people who just want to come the comedians who had never experienced this audience before were like i'm not getting heckled everybody's paying attention to my jokes they get my jokes you know i have the guy that does the trump impersonation he usually performs before a white crowd our crowd you know we we're we get it right so i'm sitting there like this audience
1: no oh, here's again I'm sorry. No, no one can find. No, no, that, that's HBO trying to shut you down before okay. they because can, they can't make a pitch to you. Create the new Def Jam because that ain't why you in it. So that's no, right. Shut you down. Right?
0: To be honest, I said to them, this ain't about comedy. It's about no, right. It's about people flying in from Texas and California and driving up from Florida, coming oh. in from Detroit to be a part of each other, right? And if we can laugh along the way. So I, I, I took the first segment to talk about affirmative action at a comedy show. Right. So and we had a panel discussion about it and it involved the audience, but I was sitting there and I was like, so humbled and happy that in my little mind, nine years ago, I imagined this mm. And today, today. Now we have Nubia that's even more a bigger extension of that. But I imagine that there were a whole lot of people out there that just couldn't find where to be because everything's about, You know, market shares and demographics, and you know, this place, and that everyone's in their little boxes. And if you can't monetize it, right? So, Charlemagne 18 to you know, radio's about the 18 to 34, male, you know, they're about who can buy stuff so that we can now sell to you. So, I was even like crazy because this is crazy. What advertisers? I don't rock with you if you McDonald's first advertiser, Rush Card was the first person trying to come in on the show. I was like, hell no. Hmm. hell no. Now it was a lot of money, Dr. Carr, but I was like, nah, we can can wait for people that actually are doing something that is valuable. Like this is again, demanding of the people. You want to be in in relationship with us? Here here are the rules of engagement. This is what we demand of you. So you want to take over a legacy magazine? Here's what we demand of you. I buy this. I'm a subscriber. Here's what we demand. We don't demand anything of our politicians, of the people that sell us stuff but we make brands so successful and nothing to show for it. I'm saying, let's stop doing that. And I'm saying it by doing it. So I just needed well, to there say it
1: that. is. There it is. There it is. We're saying, stop doing it. And you're saying it by doing it. These are two different, these are two things that often get commingled. And that's why we, we, we engender a sense of frustration, a sense of defeat, because what you're doing, and what you've invited us all into doing has been the only thing that has worked for us. And not just the only thing in the last several centuries of this uh, chattel enslavement and the afterlives of enslavement has worked for us since the beginning, has worked for us, meaning all human beings. You build institutions from the inside out. And what you're demonstrating is, you know, narrative is a a subscriber-based entity. But guess what? so is everything else so when people say well you gotta hate to be a narrative and any newbie is the social media arm i mean you know I don't, okay so when folks saying we're going to grassroots organize and say but f- go on patreon and or, or send us some money on youtube and, and you very quickly as we had conversations you were saying you know that the access that people who may not have resources or who are not yet ready to come into who we don't want necessarily in a space but you know they can still have part of the conversations we have regularly in the public space but you told people very quickly don't send money on youtube because you're basically subsidizing youtube so you had to you hustle this okay let's get a platform together where we can now use our resources collectively if everybody do a little bit but nobody has to do a lot And we're not looking for angel investors in the form of corporations or foundations. The President of the Ford Foundation, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. We're talking about affirmative action. A black man. Darren Walker, I mean, very important figure, but let's be very clear. This isn't the world of corporate philanthropy because what they realize is how do you control a movement? You give it a little money. That's how they got Queen Mother Moore and Vanity Fair because everybody from the MacArthur Foundation to Ford and Mellon, they're giving out money for reparation studies now. What are you doing? Well, we're going to influence y'all. Oh, no, no, that's not what we're doing. We want to partner. We want to help. No, yeah, you know, just write check and get the hell out of the way. But I'm saying I have to say that you are not just saying we need these trusted brands, so to speak, to come back to their roots or to come back. Well, them days is gone. But you're not just saying that we need to continue to fight for that, continue to influence, continue to have you're saying now while we're doing that, the work, the real work, is to build the spaces where we got to go through all that. That's why last week, when we, you know, I was in Atlanta, just walking them down Sweet Auburn and going over to the King Center and being a bit, you know, going past. The funeral home, Cox Funeral Home, catacorner Corner from Ebenezer, you know, right down the street from Big Bethel AME Church, right down the street from the Prince Hall Masons and the Elks Lodge and the, and the Odd Fellows Building, and then across the street from the Atlanta Daily World offices and 100 Black Men of Atlanta. These are institutions that Black people control. And then when the city tried to run a highway through, which they did, but really wanted to obliterate that entire place, it. Martha the King had been killed by then. But guess who stepped up and said, no, we're not going to have that. Coretta Scott King. A lot of people don't know. Coretta was at the center of, no, hold on, Mr. Mayor, the city council. Y'all not going to run a highway through an obliterate Sweet Auburn. You're not going to do that. And who was there shoulder to shoulder with her lockstep? Her sister-in-law, Christine King Ferris, who just made transition after we had talked. No, but, but, but come on, I want you just to just tie, this, tie this bow off, Rob, because this is critical. There's a lot of people who are not, and not yet in this space as these people who have made billions some trillions jeff bezos and them off of us simply say i don't know you i don't need to know you i own facebook i bought instagram i got these other places and i'm just gonna say boom and go live and then 30 million people come over the other one yeah. elon musk is like uh, what the hell yeah because you restricting tweets and what do you do professor hunter says now i'm over here in these other social media platforms because my presence is here, something some of y'all will learn, something I can engage. Uh, but I live in Nubia, and this is what I'm known as Karen. There, that alone, if I'm Elon Musk, if I'm Mark Zuckerberg, I'm not paying attention to you. But, but by the time they do, it's too late. Why? And there's nothing you can say to me. This is how we've <laughs> won every time. Secretly, <laughs> you, know you know, Dr. Carr, secretly, I've always
0: won, you know. I guess, and this is my naivete, because I'm I'm wildly optimistic uh, and idealistic, but I always hoped that there was like this, this, you know, secret Avengers group of black people, you know, dropping, you know, (laughs) I was, I was always hoping that that was the case. And then I realized it wasn't. I was like, can we create it? Can we create it? Yeah. And it ain't really a secret. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you openly, I'm here to dismantle this ish. I am here to do that. I, every day I work towards it. That's yeah. my goal. You ain't got to ask what's your agenda. My agenda is to dismantle injustice, wherever it is. That's my agenda. By any means necessary, we doing it. But That's I always right. wish that, there, you know, all these groups, I'm like, I, I believe maybe, you know, behind closed doors, they're all together. And they're actually all like, you do this, you do that. Shh, don't tell everyone we're together. That's right. Nah, they all got their hand out. That's yeah. what they're really doing. They yes, the Drop hand. Squad. Yes, uh, sh- yes. Oh, that. Drop
1: Squad, yeah. Eric LaSalle. Yeah. Uh, I,
0: was, I was hoping that actually existed, but uh, I'm going to say that. is
1: the Avengers. Casey Glenn said Newbie is the Avengers. Hey, look, and they're going to be critics, but guess what? If we stop to argue with people instead of continue to pour the clean glass that's of water, that's on us.
0: That's it. That's it. All right. So, um, first of all, thank you. I'm, I'm obsessed with Charles Bloxson um, because I'm obsessed with you. So no. um, I, wish,
1: I wish you could. You and Charles Bloxon would hit it off. So he's just a regular man. But yeah, I they haven't set a date for the memorial yet. By the way, as soon as they do, we'll, uh, we'll you know, we'll let everybody know. But uh, Bloxon was Bloxson was. And, and, I mean, you talk. He's like you. Hated pretension anybody that leads with I'm so-and-so and and this is what I've done, Mr. Bloxham, just sit there. (laughs) (laughs) He's more gracious than I am. (laughs) No, no, you sit there a lot. I mean, you see see. every day. I mean, you see every day. I'm just, anyway, so, but yeah. But I
0: bring them up because, um, you know, what it has inspired in me is like the the gift of like you talk about being a bookophile, and I know there's a lot yeah. of Nubians building libraries. I'm seeing y'all's y'all book displays, uh-huh. and and it's and it's beautiful. At the same time, mm. I feel like you know you can get lost in the weeds of all of the damn books. You know, at some point, it's everybody like, don't that. need to do that. You, exactly, everybody. that's my point. That's my point. Like, you don't need a thousand books. Like, I'm I'm buying two copies because now, like you, you know, I'm gonna have a copy that I I keep pristine and one that I, you know, dog ear and markup and things. Uh, Also I have books that I just want people to sign. You know, if I ever see them, like I just bought Gina Yashere's physical copy because I imagine I'm gonna be in London one day or wherever she, I'm gonna get her to to sign my book. Um, but, you know, I just, or, or Dr. Black, I know I'm going to see him in January. So I'm, I bought physical books so he can sign them. Yes. But, you know, e- e- collecting books is is more than just your, your digestion of the content. It's also an honoring of the future because you're not really collecting books for just yourself because no. these books are going to be here after you're gone. No. So there's like, I, I want to spend some time at some point walking through the philosophy behind how we collect, why we collect what we read, what we don't read. I love that we're in class with you because we don't have to read every book because you did. You read the books, (laughs) you've given us breadcrumbs and I have just enough to talk intelligently about things because (laughs) you've given us uh, the pathway. So thank you. Yeah,
1: thank you. No, that's my job. Uh, And I'm not alone, Prof, that's my job. And and I say job in the sense of, you talk about calling, it's very interesting. Um, Coretta Scott King. In, in in her book, My Life with Martin Luther King, and then in, in her interviews over the years, you know, talked about calling. And she said, you know, people looked at my husband as having a calling, and he did. She said, I too have a calling. We all have callings. And in one conversation that she had, Jonathan I actually recounts this in his book on King, late in the book. I recounts A moment. I think this might have been when the Voting Rights Act was signed. Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act, and Coretta Scott King could not go to the White House. She had to stay in Atlanta because she had scheduled uh, for Martin III and Dexter to have their tonsils out. I think that was the reason, and. It caused a little friction she said at that moment i kind of felt alone of a few times i felt alone because I, I wanted to go and i couldn't go and and that led i to uh through the archive to for one of the interviews of Scott king where she and, and and her husband were having a conversation about calling and martin king said you know i'm called to this work you're not and she said yeah no i'm called to it too different than you you're absolutely called but i if if my calling was just to be a wife and a mother, then I would go out of my mind. And of course, we know Cressy King in many ways is the one introduced Martin Luther King to a great deal of the content and conversations and ideas that are we attribute to him in terms of his awakening was really her. And he talked, and he and he he often said that. Um, in fact, I'm remembering it now. This is late in the book, maybe around maybe the late 400s and maybe in the early 500s of, of pages of, of Igg's book where he's trying to claim that Martin Luther King was not a socialist. Um, in, contravi- in contravention of Martin Luther King, I think he uses Tommy Selby at Harvard as a battering ram. It's interesting how I will recruit other scholars, uh, recruit scholars in to kind of make his points at moments when he really is kind of unsure footing. But as he told you, you got to sell books. So you can't, have, you can't be running around calling Martin Luther King a socialist. And, and expect, you know, I mean, he, he had a dream. It's deeply rooted in the American dream, you know, capitalism and every kind of thing. Uh, but at any rate, I, I still like to say that when we think about how people think about themselves and we think about how people are presented to us, we come to the dilemma that we have. The dilemma we have as African people is always to like any other group of human beings, either any other individual human beings, to, to see ourselves, to speak our special truths to the world, and to build community. Over the arc of human existence, groups of humans have been interrupted by other groups of humans trying to realize their human potential. So it's nothing that's unique to people of African descent. What is unique to us as African people is the last half millennia or so, the last 500 years, when that assault... Uh, Human-on-human assault took the form of race in a very pronounced way. Race didn't start 500 years ago, but certainly its application as a racialization, which has African people uh, degraded or attempts to degrade us, to make us render us as somehow sub, however you want to define human. You know, that's when it really intensified. And so we have to build now. Out of the strengths that allowed us to endure this. This is why Dan Black's work is so important. He gives us these renderings of how we've done that and the challenges that still remain in a fictional form, but drawn from historical memory. And as we're doing that, we have to never displace the fact that it will benefit everybody. So we're not just doing this for quote unquote black people, we're doing it for humanity, but it's gonna require some investment of our most precious resources. The most precious of which of course is time and space our time when we come together regularly seven days a week 24 hours a day in narrative and nubia and in terms of these convenings regularly every day in nubia and then for those who are not in that space who are experiencing this outside of the space if you're on youtube or it's been reposted somewhere you know, that is the work that allows us to begin to engender some sense of commitment. What can I do? What will I do? What must I do to contribute to this collective work? And by, and this work is literally constructing, reconstructing, strengthening, extending, creating spaces where we can fulfill our, our, our full humanity, be human in the world in ways that benefit ourselves and each other. Right. Um, you know, a vestige of that, uh, an example of that, an an instance of that, a brother that you talked to, Prof, uh, Hilton George, and this whole question of Blurred Con that we all gonna be at, uh, you know, one o'clock Saturday. Well, we're gonna be over there. You're gonna be uh, leading us in a conversation. Uh, Brother Kevin Strait, Dr. Strait, who's down at the Smithsonian, who is the brother who is responsible for mounting the uh, Afrofuturism exhibit of course, showed you how many times this catalog, Afrofuturism, the History of Black Futures. It's only display at the museum. Dr. Strait will be there tomorrow, but the cabin, uh our sister, Nubian, institution builders, serial institution builder, inherit, inheritor of healing and teaching institutions, who now has convened and, and extended that tradition in the form of many different uh platforms and ventures, including Calabash, T and Tonic, Dr. Amund, Sanyata Amun will be there. I'll be there. Um, I'll be coming over from the ritual that we have. Uh, we're going to have the mem- uh, memorial ritual at Crampton Auditorium um, on uh, at, I think it's 10, 15, uh, 11 o'clock. They're going to have the ritual. I'm going to give a few remarks. And then just as, as one of many paying tribute to Dr. Spriggs, Bill Spriggs, and I'm coming over to Blurcon. I might um, go before that, actually. But at any rate, that whole notion, and of course the topic of our our panel, one o'clock, uh, is Afrofuturism and the future of Black creativity. But the whole concept of BlurCon, as uh, Brother Ureus, who has kind of really led us and introduced us and sparked those who have a, a similar orientation and interest and commitment in the world of Black creatives in general and Afrofuturists in particular. Uh, of course black heroes matter uh, brother jason wise as uh, brother ureus and all his creative work uh, kind of inspires us and reminds us we're talking about building future worlds anchored very deeply in memory the momentum of memory that's really what afrofuturism is um shout out by the way to my friend and brother ronaldo anderson um at temple university uh he is one of the people who contributed to the smithsonian exhibit this is the summer the brand new edition of the black scholar one of the oldest institutional publications uh among black academics volume 53 number two this whole issue is called the shape of things to come africology and the rise of afrofuturist studies it just came out and, you know, it's the academics talking to each other and it's important work. But at the end of the day, what we're really talking about is institution building. How do it free us? And what is our objective? How do we measure those objectives? Um, last week, I was in Atlanta. As I said, in office hours, as we talked about on Monday night. And by the way, that office hours, again, was transformative. As always, Monday nights are those couple of hours we spend. Shout out to everybody who came in and the and the kind of pushing conversations that we had about You know, how we channel our hopes, our fears, our rage, how we grapple with this question of being black in the world, how we displace the the um, the impulse sometimes to murder everything moving. And use that and channel that into the type of transformative energy that we are absolutely committed to doing. Again, the first commitment of resources is time and space. But in that conversation on Monday night, last Monday night the night before the uh, July 4th rituals that we see here in the United States, for those who are not in the United States. Um, I mentioned, and I'll mention here to to everybody else who may not have been there Monday night, it was in Atlanta, and we went by Madhu Bookstore, Mama Nia Damali, one of our long-distance runners and freedom fighters. I have a copy of her. Let me see. Because she, hmm, nope. I was hoping I might have it somewhere near, but I don't think I do. Yeah, no. Um, Nia Damali, who has been in business for decades, uh, partner, intellectual, comrade, with folk like Jim Alexander, the great photographer, Asa Grant Hilliard, the great educator, the great historian, Larry Obadelli Williams. Uh, they published a, a gloss of the book of tahoe uh, many years ago and i was looking for uh, she gave me the latest edition of her book uh, names for african people she shared them with us and anyway mama nia we came in and as i said on monday night she uh was like you know Nubians coming here all the time. People who listen to in class coming here all the time. Uh, back in Kwanzaa season, they came and got their Kwanzaa gifts. When we were talking about all those children's books that I was at Sankofa uh, books and I was showing y'all some of the things I had picked up, and she said I had to order a rack of those and I couldn't keep them on the shelves. They kept flying out. Other, you know, this is a sister who, when you buy a book at Medu, when you buy a book at Sankofa. You know, when you buy a book in Baltimore at everyone's place, when you go into narrative and look at the bookstore list and you subsidize those bookstores with your resources, your time sure takes time to go into a bookstore, your space. You got to go to a bookstore if you're not going to order online. But also those those financial resources, that money doesn't just keep the doors open on those bookstores. That money allows those bookstores to do their primary work, which is what? not to sell all the books in the world to all the people and everybody got to buy all the books no you know when we walked in uh last Saturday uh, there was a sister there who had just finished a book signing and she had sold several hundred copies of her book sitting there in the mall in Atlanta set up in front of the storefront that in the do bookstore and she was just packing up what was left which wasn't much at all you know when you write a children's book This is why when Dan Black talks about folks showing up in D.C. or New Orleans, and by the way, Dan Black, of course, has had book signings at Baldwin & Company in New Orleans. When Dan Black talks about going to Chicago, and then, of course, a few weeks later, here comes, you know, my King, Karen Hunter, Brother Dante, the whole crew with Food's Miss Friday subsidizing not only Black businesses, but allowing us to convene in space, time and space. What we're really doing is building community. Bookstores are community centers. And the bookstores that did that have always been centers for us not only to buy books, but to meet each other. So Maya Angelou, Malcolm X, Carlos Moore, all in and out of Michaud's bookstore on 125th Street. Mr. Bloxon meeting them because he had a track meet in New York. And then went uptown to Harlem, was haunting the bookstores on Book Row in lower Manhattan, then goes up there. And Mr. Michaud pulls him into the back room. Charles Bloxon is literally created and curated in some ways by these meetings. And and a lot of this happens at bookstores. When I first met Paul Lee in Detroit, I was at Vaughn's bookstore. In between sessions at our Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations conference, I was at Vaughn's bookstore. And and and. And I I was going in, Paul Lee was coming out. He saw me coming in. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. But something about our energy, I guess, Vaughn's Bookstore, the oldest black bookstore in Michigan. Ed Vaughn, State Representative Ed Vaughn, who was a bookseller long before he was a state senator, um, who had just, in fact, given remarks at the conference. So we didn't know each other, me and Paul. I'm going in. He's coming out. And Paul... Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the finest historian of Malcolm X we have, finest living historian of Malcolm X we have. Paul, you know, saw me and I guess we struck up a conversation right out front and he pulled out his coat pocket a picture or one of them postcards with Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, and Louis Michaud, Mr. Michaud in the middle. And he said, you know who that little dude is? I said, yeah, that's Mr. Michaud. He said, oh, well, okay, you know who that is. I mean, it's just like Charles Blox asked me about Hubert Henry Harrison when he when he said, what you know about him And we, we struck it out, been friends ever since. And so... I'm bringing all that up to say that the places where people meet to buy books are not just bookstores. they are places where people convene to discuss, to debate, to build, to create. And what we have in Nubia is a virtual a virtual version of that that now extends into real-world places like Sankofa and Medu, into real-world places like Everyone's Place, and into real-world places like City Winery and places like that because that Nubian energy also feeds into the larger universe that you convene prof beyond that was convened before that Nubian narrative add on to that extend on to from sirius and, and all the other ventures and so um yeah we were there and and that's when you see the other side this is where i want to go to with this just for a few minutes uh today pouring those clean glasses of water in a moment when we can confuse what's going on in the world with the the main thing we should be concerned about i'm thinking now about those affirmative the affirmative action conversation that we had last week and remember because we had to go a couple of days early the uh sffa case had just been released but we hadn't yet had as we talked about you know the other major targets of this term of the john roberts court and that was namely the exquisitely absurd Ruling on a thought exercise that would be 303 versus creative, as Angie Porter has been telling us. The whole idea that I'm gonna start a business, and if I start a business and the gay person comes in and wants to, I don't want to do that, uh, do I have to do it? Okay, we'll, we'll we'll take that case as a thought exercise. Uh no, wait a minute. Did it happen? No, wait, you you ruled on a on a hypothetical, well. Is there a precedent for you ruling on it? So not I mean, just a hypothetical, Dr. Carr. A
0: hypothetical <laughs> on a person that never the man that they, they claim wasn't gay was didn't exist... I mean it wasn't even on the on a fact. No question. It wasn't just a hypothetical. They they presented evidence based on a lie. Based on it a ruled theory. in
1: favor of the lie. In in favor of the lie. Absolutely. Isn't that something? Couldn't even wait for the thing to happen because you would have had to find somebody. So they wouldn't even risk that you wouldn't find anybody who would do it. They just said, and it's interesting because I'm sure there are people who would say, well, you all must have missed something. But let me be very clear you don't have to go to law school. You don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to be a law professor. You don't have to be a legal uh, professional to understand that no, you're not missing anything. My friend and sister, Sherilyn Eiffel, who's a uh, joining the Howard faculty at the law school in the fall. Sherilyn was on social media like, no, y'all didn't miss nothing. That What you just said, Prof. Hunter, that's exactly right. You literally took a side of the lie, and none of this ever happened. But in many ways, that, affirmative of action, hmm. as, as you and Angie were talking about the signal it sends, and we talked about this, a little bit before on Monday night, too. But as you all talked about, the signal this sends to employers, to people who are hiring everything from interns to entry level jobs, to boardroom access, all this kind of, that is the biggest threat of this affirmative action thing in some ways. But the real money fights that this court wanted to get at was that first amendment fight for religious and maybe racial or anything else intolerance that the 303 case uh, represents. And already you're seeing people say, well, now I'm not going to serve Trump supporters, or well, now I'm not going to serve. See, this is the unraveling of this uh, funky criminal enterprise. But you know, hey, nobody said that, you know, it wasn't going to be, it was going to be without pain. What's going to happen? See, when you get to a certain point and the thing unravels, this is going to be what it's going to be. And then, of course, the other case was them closing off uh, an avenue to forgiving student loans. these are the money cases they were after affirmative action sure but really the student loan decision but they blocked the biden administration from forgiving student loans by interpreting the statute that they did they used to do it the heroes act as not enabling the executive to be able to do that and of course there are other ways that biden can do this i mean in other words this ain't the end of the road for all the people who are in this space right now who were like oh man i got some relief wait what And then, of course, the First Amendment case, the real money one, the 303 versus creative, 303 creative versus the Linus. But are these distractions? No, they're not distractions. We have to fight these fights. That's why you vote to get judges. They won't do this. There are other things that are being planted now, and, and I'll talk about those in a minute. That really show us that we have to be engaged in the political process. But you don't wait while you're doing that. You don't wait to build your institutional base. You don't wait to do that. That's very important. And so, yeah, I mean, um, a lot of activity, building our base exists beyond the attention of or the awareness of these social structures. So even s- standing in Medu on, uh, on Saturday with Mama Nia, you know, one of the reasons we went over there is because Charles Finch III has a new book out, Nile Valley Civilization, a 10,000-year history. And it, you know, he... Um, Came out in November 2022. This is the book. Charles Finch is like a legend in the African centered community. Medical doctor, many years, faculty, Morehouse, School of Medicine. Um, a deep student of ancient Egypt for many years. Convert, uh, a kind of a uh, um, correspondent with Sheikh Antajoke, the follow Benga, contemporary of Jacob Carruthers, and so many, many, many others. Hill Hillier, Larry Williams, Obedele Williams. And so this is this is his latest book. Mama Nia had them. You know, you know, walk in Barnes Noble Amazon, and get them necessarily. If you go on Amazon, I haven't looked on Amazon. Why would I? I'm going to the place where the black people sell the books by the black authors and published by black presses, right? And it, as we are building institutions, the question, as I said before, becomes: What are our objectives, and how do we measure whether or not our work? Has served those objectives. Has observed uh, served those purposes. So let's just spend a couple of minutes today, since the last time we were together here. We hadn't talked about affirmative action a lot more because the case had just come out. We're not going to talk about it a lot right now because we've been kind of talked about it. But I want to just raise a couple of things. The like on Monday night in office hours, those of you in Nubia, we applied our Africana Studies framework to this question of affirmative action. And I want to just raise a, a couple of things. In the students versus fair, the students for fair admission versus Harvard and versus University of North Carolina. And of course, that's a misleading title. This is Ed Gloom, the billionaire getting a beard as a battering ram trying to put this on Asian Americans to kind of knock down and destroy affirmative action in higher education. And he was able to do that, of course, mission accomplished. The social structure question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, who are African people to other people? Who are African people in the social structures we find ourselves in? And we know that this is a social structure, a global social structure. We see what's going on in France right now. We talked about that on Monday night. You know, 17 year old boy from Algeria is killed by the police and people in France are like, bet it's on. And they're in the streets right now. Paris is burning for different reasons. As somebody said in Nubia on Monday night. But here in the United States, blackness continues to be despised. In many ways, the shootings continue, the killings continue. And the people say, well, you know, black people are killing black people. Yes, we saw the violence uh, over the so-called holiday weekend in places like Philadelphia. Um I talked to my freedom school students about that on Wednesday when we were together for our regular Mbongi. But we also understand that this is because black life has been devalued, even black on black violence at the heart of it is anti-black attitudes. This is what Amos Wilson wrote about in his book, Black on Black Violence in Service of White Domination. It is that self-hatred projected outwardly. But when we start talking about affirmative action in higher education, We should pause and ask ourselves, what are we talking about and how do it free us? Uh, In the Financial Times on Thursday, there was an article by Ed Bloom, Edward Luce, not Bloom, the billionaire, Edward Luce, uh, journalist, Financial Times. And he talks about the name of the article was uh, the title of the article, the opinion is opinion article was the moral bankruptcy of ivy league america what does that mean just run a few numbers right now loose notes that in the united states of america there are about 31 million people between the, who who are age wise between the ages of 18 and 24. 31 million people 31 million people of those 31 million people About 12 million of them will see some form of post-secondary education, community college, training programs, what do you want to say, uh, undergraduate school. So 12 million of 31 million will go to school somewhere after high school. Of that 31 million, 19 million will not go past high school if they get to high school. Let's pause and think about that. 19 million will, if they finish, go no further than the high school. 12 million will do some form of post-secondary education. That does mean they'll finish, but they'll start some form of post-secondary uh, education. All the Ivy League schools, shout out to the state of New York, we see is introduced some legislation to ban special admissions in New York schools. How many of those Ivy League schools are in New York? I'm trying to think. I think there are two, right? Columbia and Cornell.
0: Yes. Upstate,
1: yep. That's it. Yeah. yeah there's a sister from Brooklyn in the Assembly and a, and a dude from Brooklyn in the Senate side who co-introduced this legislation to ban legacy admissions. Ooh. <laughs> Could be problematic. Uh, I read the complaint. Not the complaint. Yeah, I guess it is a complaint. Uh, the Chico Project, the African Community Economic Development of New England and the Greater Boston Latino Network filed this week a complaint uh with the civil rights division of the department of education uh, under title six of the civil rights act of 1964 versus the president and fellows of harvard college and as we talked about on monday night the new president of harvard college as of july 1st dr gay is a woman of african descent you see what how do we free us diversity equity inclusion you can make the president black while you're trying to get rid of black people with undergraduate again this idea but 31 million between 18 and 24. 12 million, gonna do some form of post-secondary education. 19 million, they're gonna stop at high school if they get to high school. The Ivy League together, collectively, 68,000 undergraduate students at the Ivy League. This is what Luce writes in the Financial Times. He says, whatever tweaks the Ivy League has to make to keep its diversity ratios after last week's ruling are thus largely irrelevant to the 99.8% that will never get there. How do it free us? Does that mean we shouldn't fight to get people admitted to Harvard of African descent? No, doesn't mean we shouldn't fight to do that, but we should put it in perspective. And we should put that in perspective in a way that helps us understand what's at stake and what we can do by pouring these clean glasses of water. I'm gonna read a couple of things from the, the civil rights complaint that was formed, that was filed by those organizations I just mentioned. Of the white students admitted to undergraduate study at Harvard, only about half received no preference. Of those white kids, 13% received a donor preference, shout out to Jerry Kushner, daddy, who gave out that money, and 20% received a legacy preference. Meaning somebody in their family went to Harvard before them, so they get a leg up for that. The lawsuit says that 70% of those who get legacy and or donor preference are white. So basically, legacy and donor is serving as a racially restrictive uh, admissions criteria. Now, who knows whether they will succeed in the court of law, but they're at least doing it. Because the whole conversation this last week has been about privilege. What Luce is saying is, y'all talking about something you ain't going to be part of. In, in, the, in the introduction to African africana Studies class that we teach in the summer, uh, which started last week, was talking to those students yesterday. Myself, Dr. Mario Beatty, Dr. Blithia Watkins, Dr. Josh Myers, we team teach that class, and a student raised the question on, you know, affirmative action and what it means. And I said, let's be very clear. All of you all in this class, which is a very special class we have curated for entering students who are in the sciences in a, in a specific program at Howard. So you y'all could have gone a whole lot of places. You chose to go here. You got a full ride here. It's going to lead to graduate school, professional school, all this kind of thing. And I'm sure that for some of you all, at least, sitting around the family dinner table, or wherever you sit around when you make these kind of decisions about where you're going to go to college. You were told if you're not going to go to Columbia, if you're not going to go to Harvard or Yale or NYU, if you're not going to go to the University of Chicago or Stanford, if you're not going to go to Cal Berkeley or the University of Texas Austin, if you're not going to go to Duke or the University of North Carolina, if you're not going to go to the University of Alabama or Cornell, if you're not going to go to the University of Pennsylvania or Ohio State, uh, there are three Negro colleges that we will approve at this table: Morehouse, Howard, and Spelman. There are some chuckles. If you had told your mama that you wanted to go to Tennessee State, where I went to school. See, class playing a role in this too. And then, and then we talked a little bit about what I'm about to talk about. At Harvard, 20% of the white kids let in got uh, legacy preference and 12%, 13% or so, got uh, a donor preference. And of all the white students admitted, only about half received no preference for them at all. So it doesn't take any math to know that 33%, which is donor and legacy combined, doesn't add up to Have so, there are other factors at play, and Harvard didn't want to tell nobody the special sauce about how they let people in. Talk about those interlocking rooms a minute ago, Professor Hunter. But let's look at the contrast by contrast, only approximately two percent of black applicants received a donor preference, and under five percent received a legacy preference. For Latinx applicants, about 4% got donor preference and 7% legacy preference. Asian Americans, only 5% and 6% respectively, donor and legacy preference. I'm raising all this not to get too deep into the weeds of, of legacy and donor and what's going on in the Ivy League and Harvard and Penn and Cornell and Dartmouth and Brown and all those schools. What I'm saying is, this don't matter to 99.8% of the people who are going to college and the majority of people who are 18, 20, 40, United States of America ain't going to college. But everybody can come here. What are you paying for when you go to the Ivy League? What are you getting a scholarship to go to the Ivy League for? The same thing you're trying to get at Howard at Morehouse and Spelman, which is access to the network. Now at the HBCUs, the idea, like the Essence Festival, is that you're doing that in order to uplift the race but if are you uplifting the race if you're only uplifting yourself and your family and donating to some scholarship funds from Time to time for needy people like you were at one point, maybe two or three generations back or maybe even your generation. Are you doing that when you volunteer to go read and go do some after school work and this kind of thing and then take a picture on Mark Zuckerberg's Instagram and post it saying you're doing service? I mean, are you? Is that really? How do it free us? Now, you are giving young people something to aspire to. That's that whole role model thing. But if they're pulling up the ladder, thanks, Clarence, to Yale. You're having students aspire to go to a place that may be increasingly difficult to get in, and to perhaps look down through their nose at these other places. Are you really engendering in them the type of ways of knowing, the types of cultural meaning making that will allow us to move collectively? because there are two ways to respond to that kind of thing. We talked about this a little bit last week too. Someone's going to mention it in passing if you want to go back into it, you can, you know, go back last week when we talked about Randy Maturi's book Stickman Culture. You can create a feeling among people who may never have access to a place like that, that they not only don't want access to that, they don't trust anybody who does have access to that. That's the class tension in the black community. We don't make it any better by acting like we got contempt for them people who are in the quote unquote lower class, what James Turner would call the laboring class. That's one reaction. The other reaction is you set them on a hamster wheel to continue to aspire to this notion of excellence, that no matter what they say about what they feel about their cultures and their people, their secret aspiration, which is revealed to be not so secret when, you know, it kind of comes to it is recognition from them other people. Now, the point is this. When Luce says that 99.8% of the people is irrelevant to this Ivy League battle over renovation action. He then says, the genuinely radical Ivy League option, spending their vast endowments to sharply increase student numbers, is unlikely to be entertained. The key to the Ivy League is is exclusivity. They don't want everybody at the Ivy League. They don't want everybody at the universities. Otherwise, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't brag every five minutes, oh, this this class is the most exclusive ever. We had a hundred billion Negroes apply. We only let in three. And their GPAs were 8.8 and uh, on a 4.0 scale. And they busted out the SAT. They scored even more than perfect, in fact. They rewrote the SAT with their answers. We're so proud. Let's cheer. High school graduate Greg Carr then has contempt for the Negro colleges that act that way. Because at least when I came along, they had open enrollment. Did you graduate? Are you alive? You got $5 for the application fee? Yeah. Whomsoever let them come. Well, that's beautiful. Because the idea is you want to create access or you can create spaces like the spaces we have where you ain't never got to buy a book. You ain't never got to do that. But you can come in this space, listen, write something down, connect with somebody, come up with an idea. And then gradually, if you want to bring something else in to read or study and share, that's what we do. Across every day in all this space. And yeah, it costs a little bit of money why because something's got to keep the lights on something got to pay the servers somebody got to keep this whole thing operating now that's that cargy G Wilson model that's that association for the study of negro life and history model and then as it as it continues to grow and it's growing here come not not what not, well, we're from the blank foundation we'd like to <laughs> no oh. yeah because we are subsidizing ourselves And what Luce writes in the Financial Times, he says, the generally radical Ivy League option, spending their vast endowments to sharply increase student numbers, is unlikely to be entertained. Why? Luce says the key to the Ivy League is exclusivity. A big expansion in intake would dilute that premium. If everybody could get access to Harvard, remember they tried this stuff with Harvard and Columbia and Coursera and these huge courses you could get credit for. Yeah, well, guess what? We got the platform for that. Say less, say less at this point. Luce writes and says, we are thus likely to continue with the situation in which universities such as Harvard with a $53 billion endowment or Princeton with $36 billion continue to get richer. Each of these fortunes could revolutionize financial aid at dozens, at dozens of public universities. Uh, there was an excellent series of essays uh, in New York Times in the opinion page, How to Fix College Admissions Now. Uh, My friend Natasha Waraku, who was at Tufts University, uh, wrote one on moving on from meritocracy, because again,